Grab a roadie and your barber jacket, because we're headed out of the swells. We know each other well enough by now, but please remember that adults who use adult language told me these terrifying tales. These ghost stories aren't for kids. So I've been at about a 10 on the stress scale lately, and when I'm at that level of anxiety, podcasts are a miracle at leveling me out. A really good podcast makes me feel as though I'm a benign creeper, sitting alongside strangers in a cafe, listening in on their interesting conversation. So I was delighted to discover Guide to the Unknown podcast, in which a brother and sister, Kristen and Will, discuss the spooky and macabre. As much as I love their fresh coverage of creepy topics, I simply adore listening in on their amazing relationship even more. I get such a kick out of it when they make each other laugh so hard there's a brief moment of silence, and I have to check to make sure my phone is still playing the show. Check out Guide to the Unknown everywhere you listen to podcasts. You can find them on Twitter at GTTUPod, and there's even a YouTube version of the show with visuals of what they're talking about added in. That's at youtube.com slash talkbomb. They even record their show every week on Facebook Live. It's really fun. I can't suggest it enough. All right, on with our own ghost story. Thanks to Judith Kay for donating to Patreon to protect the identity of a gifted psychic medium. I tagged along on a house evaluation with the woman, and I wish I hadn't. We're on to Out of the Swells ghost story number five. I don't like that closet, honey. Text in brackets. Something to note. The psychic, we'll call her Judith Kay, had the best southern lilt, and I am burdened with the upstate New York twang, so I certainly wasn't able to recreate her gorgeous way of speaking. Also, the psychic asked that I refrain from detailing her physical appearance in this story so that she could remain truly anonymous. End brackets. It was close to 6.30 as I slowly wove along the tree-lined road, but it felt much later. Branches met overhead and blocked out the final moments of daylight. I wasn't exactly a stranger to that part of the world. One of my sisters lived just miles from my destination, but I hadn't explored the densely forested town on my own. It was my sister who'd orchestrated the whole event. She'd put me in touch with psychic medium Judith Kay, and what had begun as an interview morphed into me tagging along on one of the woman's walks, a nighttime exploration of a haunted home in which she determined what was causing the paranormal disturbance and then prescribed the antidote. Like Amy Allen, I blurted out to her on the phone. Kind of, honey, but usually I get rid of the creepies myself. I'd excitedly trekked two hours up to North Berwick, Maine, earlier that afternoon and had spent some time hanging out at my sister's place, excitedly discussing what the night would bring. But as the hour approached, I began to lose my nerve. This next interview wasn't really an interview. I would actually spend time in a severely haunted home, as the psychic did her thing. She'd assured me on the phone that she would never allow anything to either affect me when I was in the house or follow me home from it. It goes without saying that I didn't mention what I was doing to Biddy. The 20-minute drive included just three turns from my sister's house, but I was half convinced I was lost. Just as I was about to call it a night and turn the car around, the headlights fell upon a sign declaring, Welcome to Moosewood Farms. Shit, I said under my breath as I turned into the development. 
The neighborhood was an oasis in the middle of dense forest. Large homes with generous lawns seemed to watch me suspiciously as I scanned the mailboxes for number 17. Several of the yards boasted large ponds that swirled discreetly in tame New England landscaping. Nestled at the inside curve of the development, and sided by what appeared to be a section of marshy wood to the right and a good sliver of forest to the left, number 17 was a stunner. A three-floor colonial with a pretty front porch, the home was yellow with white trim. Two white rocking chairs flanked the front door, patiently waiting for spring to arrive. The windows glowed warmly in the dusk, and it appeared that every single light in the house was on at full blast. I turned in and immediately made note of the empty driveway. It meant that Judith hadn't yet arrived. Social anxiety overcame me. I'd never met these people, and I had no idea what Judith had told them about me. As I sat in my awkward panic, the front door opened, and a pretty woman waved to me to come inside. Shit, I muttered again as I returned her wave. I took the key from the ignition, grabbed my bag, and stepped out into the driveway. What had first appeared to be a cozy, marshy wood seemed significantly more threatening once outside of the safety of my car. At least I'm not putting the kids to bed, I thought, putting things in perspective. Come on in, the woman called to me, pulling her boyfriend-style sweater tight to stave off the chill in the air. Judith texted. She's running about 15 minutes late. Okay, great, I called back, not meaning it at all. I climbed the steps to the porch and introduced myself to the woman. I'm Kate, she said. She had long, dark brown hair and those damn bangs that I've always coveted. The gray cashmere sweater covered a crisp white t-shirt, and she wore perfectly distressed boyfriend jeans and spotless keds. As I had so many times before, I wondered how some women know how to put together an outfit. I was wearing skinny jeans that, if I am honest, had become way too tight as of late, a navy blue pullover sweater with a ruffled collar, and Uggs. I can't help it. They're just so damn comfortable. Clothing issues aside, I found myself hesitating to enter the woman's home. They haven't bothered anyone but us, Kate said with a shake of her head. I looked at her, confused. The ghosts, or whatever's here, they only appear to my family. Oh, I replied quickly. No worries, I just, you know, feel funny being here without Judith. I'll make us some tea while we wait for her, she said, closing the door and locking it, eliminating any means of escape. This is my husband, Steve. I exchanged hellos and a handshake with a cute, bespectacled guy in his mid-forties. Following her to the kitchen, I took in the home's cozy warmth. Colorful walls were lined with family photos. It looked like the couple had two teenage boys, and the first floor flowed from an adorable seating area with leather couches and a kitchen table to the kitchen itself, and then on to the dining room, where you could continue and complete the circular path. Dark wood, pretty mirrors, and a beautiful hutch displaying attractive tchotchkes set a warm, modern farmhouse vibe. Your home is absolutely beautiful. How long have you lived here? The couple looked at each other, and I immediately recognized the hive mind that Chris and I share as they tried to calculate the answer via telepathy. Almost ten years, Steve decided. I looked at the happy family photos lining a sideboard in the dining room. You have two boys? I asked. Yep, nineteen and fifteen, 
Kate replied. Our oldest son, she continued, pointing to a photo of a teenage boy in a football uniform. He recently had a difficult falling out with an old friend. They played football together in high school, Steve interjected. Kate nodded, her mouth turned down. I'm sure it has nothing to do with it, but our problems began right after they had their disagreement. It's got to be a coincidence, Steve insisted in a way that made me think that it wasn't a coincidence at all. Totally, Kate agreed, her eyebrows scrunched. She then busied herself making two cups of tea while Steve and I chatted about my sister's family and whether there were any small world degrees of separation between us. I described my blog and asked permission to start recording the night, and he happily agreed. We sat on the couches in the kitchen area, and when I had a piping hot decaf black tea in hand, I asked, Do you know Judith well? No, not at all, really, Kate replied. A woman at our church put us in touch. We've spoken briefly on the phone. She didn't want too much information about our situation, though. She asked only for our address. Kate paused then looked at her husband and said, We have no idea what to expect tonight. Steve put his hand on her leg and gave it a squeeze. That's a good sign, I said reassuringly. When she says something that lines up with what you've been experiencing, you'll know that she's the real deal. I stopped myself from asking what was going on in the house, though I was dying to know. As if reading my mind, Steve said, I wish we could tell you. It sounds like you've talked to a lot of people in our position. I would love to hear what you think about what's going on in our house, Kate said. It is such a relief to talk to someone who doesn't think we're crazy. Or lying, Steve added. So what has been... I began to ask when the doorbell rang. Startled, a generous splash of hot tea landed on my lap. Steve got me a paper towel and Kate answered the door. Hello! Judith bellowed as she stepped inside and wrapped her arms around Kate in a bear hug. Now who do we have here? I waved the paper towel in my hand awkwardly, and she smiled and said, There's my Liz, before walking over to Steve to give him a politician's handshake, grasping his right elbow with her left hand as she shook with her right. She stepped back and closed her eyes, bringing her hands in prayer form first to her chest, then to her mouth, and then to her forehead. She took three long, deep breaths as Kate, Steve, and I stared at her, unsure of how to act. Judith's eyes snapped open, and her hands fell to her sides. Well, 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 she said, her eyes scanning each of us. We've got our work cut out for us. Now, who's staying behind with me? she asked. The couple exchanged a look, and Kate spoke up. I'll stay. Are you sure you want to? Steve asked. Yes, you go to the hotel with the boys. I don't mind. It won't take but two shakes of a lamb's tail, Judith assured Kate. Then you'll be off to the hotel and the spirits will have a chance to settle down once I'm gone. Judith clapped her hands together. All right, Daddy. Gone with you to the boys. Ladies, let's get to work. We'll start in there. Steve gave Kate a kiss on the cheek and, duly dismissed, walked through the kitchen towards what I assumed was the door to their garage. Kate and I exchanged nervous smiles and followed the psychic into the family's television room, located off the kitchen seating area. Fabulous rug, Judith said, pointing to the gray-toned animal print. There's a woman here, 
but I think she might be a relative of yours. Listening, listening. Okay, yeah, got it. It's your grandmother, your mom's mom, all right? And she comes and goes between you and your sisters. She's worried, honey, really worried. She can come into this room, but she doesn't dare go to the rest of the house. Why is that, ma'am? Okay, mm-hmm. She says he has control of the property, but there's something... Okay, sure, yep. There's a religious something or other in here. On the mantle. We all looked up at the fireplace mantle. Oh my God, Kate breathed. I put a cross from an old necklace. I put it up there last week. She walked over and reached up onto the mantle and pulled down a tiny gold cross. How could you know that? I didn't, honey. Your grandma told me. And know that this is a safe room for you and your family. Get a few more of those crosses and get them blessed at your church. Put them in the four corners of the room. The rest of the house needs more than a blessing, mind you. But you were able to protect this room on your own. Good girl. Thank you, Judith said to the corner of the room. Sure, I'll tell her. Your grandma thinks your boys are the handsomest she's ever seen. Kate smiled and blinked back tears. All right, ladies, let's move on. Find out who the controlling jerk is. Into the kitchen we followed. Judith stood still with her eyes closed for a long moment. I realized I was holding my breath. What's with the flowers? Oh, I can't keep fresh flowers anymore. Since everything, you know, started happening, flowers just wilt within hours if I bring them in here. Mmm... Judith groaned. I don't like it. She glanced over at me for a moment and scrunched her eyebrows, then looked to Kate. It's heavy in here, honey. He's messing with water, or something connected to him is. What's been going on with the water? Everything on this floor leaks. The kitchen sink, the toilet, and the powder room. It's been an ongoing problem for the past two months. Once one issue is fixed, another crops up. I just had the plumber in here yesterday for the dishwasher. Judith closed her eyes again. Water, water, water. He doesn't care about the water, but it amuses him to see you scurry and fret. Hmm. We followed Judith around the entire first floor, through the eating area and into the dining room. All the while, she mumbled things to herself about heavy energy and dark spots. They're floating in the air, and I think they're his little helpers, she said at one point. Relentless and draining. You're lucky none of you have gotten sick yet. That's what they want. I don't know what he wants yet. But he's pulled these things inside, recruited them. Again, it amuses him to see your family struggling. Gorgeous part of the country, this, Judith said, abruptly changing the topic. Lots of forest. Passed a horse farm on the way here. Do you know which tribe was on the land? Kate looked as confused as I was. I was trying to figure out what sort of tribes horse farmers formed when Judith clarified, Native Americans. Was it the Wampanoag? Oh, I'm embarrassed to say that I don't know, Kate admitted. They both turned to look at me, and I shrugged my shoulders. Judith stared out of one of the dining room windows into the front yard. He says the land is healthy, but that something... No, no, they aren't involved in that. Okay, thank you. He says that something caused a tear in the fabric, and that's how it all got in. Who says? 
I asked. The Native American gentleman in the front yard, Judith replied, pointing out the window. Kate and I exchanged a look. She said, We've all seen someone walking in those marshy woods next to the driveway. My youngest, he called the police one night. He was sure it was someone skulking around, but they didn't find anyone. Judith nodded. It's him. He's harmless, and he's just watching. Wants to be sure that what's in this house doesn't infect the neighborhood. Kate gave what could best be described as a little whimper. Judith shook her head and looked down at her feet. There are two here, two masters. I don't get it yet. One wants control over this household, but I don't know about the other one. She glanced behind me, and I looked over my shoulder. They can't hide forever. I'll figure it out. All right, the basement. It's a finished space. Is it? Is that right? Kate nodded her head. And the mirror, Judith tisked. There's a large mirror down there, isn't there? Ah, uh, yes, Kate said, sounding apologetic. When the boys were little, they would put on plays, you know, or rock band performances in front of it, or whatever. Mm-hmm, Judith affirmed. How much time does the oldest boy spend down there? None, anymore at least. They used to play their video games and use the exercise equipment, but now... How often do they see things? Judith asked. Um, well, they've told me about the shadows. My youngest says he's caught the shadows watching him. He said they remind him of little kids peeking around corners. More than one shadow spying on him. That's what he said. Judith nodded confidently. Let's go down there so I can get a good look at him. Kate walked back to the kitchen and to a door across from the island. She undid a chain lock at the top of the frame, then an iron hook below that, and finally the deadbolt. After a slight hesitation, she pulled the door open and quickly flipped a light switch, bathing the wide, carpeted staircase with light. Do you mind if we keep the lights off? Judith asked. After a moment's hesitation, Kate flipped the switch again. No, it should be fine. She led the way, Judith went next, and, filled with dread, I brought up the rear. After a quick beat, my eyes adjusted to ambient light filtering in from the floodlights in the backyard. The basement was above grade in the back, so there was a regular-sized door through which one could access the backyard. Three full-size windows lined the same wall. Divided nicely into areas of interest, it appeared that the basement was a teenager's dream hangout. There was a large sectional facing a huge television. A bunch of electronics on a table below led me to believe that the boys had gaming stuff, though which system I had no idea. Even in my prime, I never did beat Super Mario Brothers. An array of workout equipment stood tauntingly in one of the basement's corners, and a long dining room-style table took up a large space, creating the perfect place to do homework with friends. Kate and I followed Judith as she completed the circular path and stopped in front of a big wall-length mirror. I'm not good at any sort of estimation, but the mirror was floor-to-ceiling and was at least, well, like if another me stood on my head and we laid down on the floor. That's how long it was. Judith stared at the mirror eerily for too long and then sucked a breath in through her teeth. There you are, you little buggers, she said quietly. Now how did you get in here? 
She bent down closer to the glass and watched the reflection near her feet. After a time of nodding her head and listening to something that Kate and I could not hear, she stood and stepped back away from the mirror. Little demons, she declared quietly. They tagged along with the one in charge, but they aren't powerful enough to get past the first floor, so they've taken control of this space. But how did they get into the mirror? Kate asked desperately. And why? We'll get there, honey. These prideful little creeps can't stop themselves from spilling everything they know. Judith paused and watched the mirror. Her eyes moved around as though she were following something. She shook her head and gave a small laugh. They're just about as low on the totem pole as you can get. And that's good news. Really, it means that whoever's the big bad living upstairs can't be that powerful. He wouldn't be hanging out with these guys if he were. They're creating the small disturbances. Little scares, bad feelings, the water. They do it because they get a kick out of it. But those low vibration emotions, fear, annoyance, frustration, he... The big man on campus here. Yeah, he feeds off those. Gets a little oomph out of them. I'll have no trouble getting rid of these guys, but you gotta get rid of this damn mirror. Immediately. I'm surprised these little gremlins are the only thing it's let into your house. You let these little demons use it to enter your space much longer, and something else is gonna notice what they're doing and try it for themselves. Is this where the big bad guy came in too? I asked. Judith looked at me. She seemed to be sizing me up. No, he walked right in through the front door, which is very interesting. He just let these little guys know about the secret passage, if you will, and he feeds off the bad emotions they create. He's a demon too, I asked. Yep, she said. Let's get back upstairs and head to the second floor, shall we? We did. Kate and I followed Judith as she walked through all four bedrooms and two bathrooms. Aside from commenting on how heavy the energy on that floor was and how exhausted the family must be, she did not see anything spooky, save for some more of those floating dark spots she'd seen on the first floor. We stood in the master bedroom, the final room on the second floor tour, when Judith said, Can you feel it? What? Kate and I asked in frightened unison. It's like he's pushing down on us. I can barely catch my breath. Sometimes at night, I wake up and it feels like there's a stack of encyclopedias on my chest, Kate said quickly. I wake up because I can barely breathe. That's him. He is oppressive. To women, that is. To men, he's an instigator. How are the guys doing here? On edge? Kate nodded. Quick-tempered, yeah? Very, Kate confirmed. And that is not like them at all, especially my oldest. We can't say anything to him without him flying off the handle. He's either off brooding in his room or yelling at his brother. He's a completely different boy. Well, he's got a demon whispering in his ear, honey. He's quite deceived. Judith looked up at the ceiling above her head. Speaking of, how do you get to the third floor? Kate hesitated. I hate it up there. I can imagine, Judith said. You got a demon nesting in your attic. We stood silent, processing what Judith had just said. Finally, Kate moved towards the door. Follow me. 
Down the hallway, past the stairs, and around a corner, Kate stopped in front of a door that I hadn't noticed on our first pass. We renovated last year. The builder left it unfinished so we could decide what to do with the space. We got the idea in our heads that it would make for a good guest room, and there was even room to build an office up there. I'm afraid that when we renovated, we somehow invited all of this in. Kate admitted, staring at the door handle. No, honey, that is not at all what happened, Judith reassured her. She looked up at the ceiling again, then said quietly, It was that boy on his football team. Mark? No, Mike. Michael. He put the hex on your family. Kate stared at Judith. How could you possibly know that? She said in disbelief. Sometimes it takes a little while for the picture to solidify, but I'm pretty sure I've got the gist of it now. Nasty little boy, that one. Always has been. It's true, Kate said enthusiastically, grasping her hands together in front of her. We always knew he was trouble. They've been on the same football team since they were in eighth grade, and there was no way to keep my son from having to interact with him. His mother... Kate paused, and I saw she was trying to hold back from saying anything uncharitable, but her need to share her burden won out. She's a real piece of work, makes little digs about everything, but does it in a sweet way so you don't even realize she's done it until you've walked away from the conversation. Anyhow, her son has been caught in trouble a million times, smuggling beer on the away bus for the ride home, pot... Then there was some issue with him writing something about a girl in the locker room, and his parents always pull strings to get him out of it. It's a private school, so I'm sure they're donating money. Kate rolled her eyes. Anyway, my son was at a graduation party at the boy's house. Against my better judgment, of course, but he was 18, and we have to loosen our grip. Anyhow, something happened at that party. Ouija, Judith interrupted. What? Kate demanded. There was a Ouija board at that party. Judith closed her eyes and breathed deeply before continuing. The kids were just drinking beer and smoking pot, but nothing outrageous. And then that boy, Michael, started talking about Satanism. Not with that word, but that's what he was getting at. Your son and a friend gave him a hard time about it, just poking fun, but that boy took it personally. So he took out his Ouija board and summoned whatever spirit he's got attached to him and began telling the kids things that he shouldn't know. Um, oh, Judith gasped, making Kate and I jump. I put my back against the wall, my heart pounding. What? Oh my God, what did you see? Kate demanded. It's face, Judith said, slightly out of breath. I'm getting too close, and it doesn't want me to know how it got in here. It likes it here too much. It's... She paused, staring at the ceiling. It's put in too much time laying the groundwork. Groundwork for what? I asked. Judith looked at me, and then Kate. Let's get this over with, she said, nodding to the door. Kate hesitated before reaching up to undo the hook and eye latch near the top of the door. I'll go first, Judith assured her. Kate followed, and again I reluctantly brought up the rear. Beyond the door was a steep carpeted staircase. Kate had turned on a light, and a ceiling fixture at the top of the stairs illuminated a small hallway. 
We were halfway up the stairs when a low growl followed by a heavy bang, as though something had slammed against a wall stopped us in our tracks. Kate and I screamed, and Judith said loudly, That's enough! I didn't know if she was talking to us or the entity, but I forced myself to stay silent. Too scared to either climb further or go back downstairs, I froze. My back pressed up against the wall once again. I've never heard a bang that loud, Kate whispered. What about the growl? I asked. What growl? She demanded, her voice shaking. You heard that too? Judith asked, peering down at me. Didn't you? Of course I did, but I'm clairaudient, Judith replied. I shrugged my shoulders. What difference does it make? Something just growled at us. Judith stared at me for a long moment. I stared back, hoping she would say we should retreat back down to the second floor. She turned and looked back up to the third floor landing. Let's go. Too frightened to revolt, I followed. At the landing, there was a small bathroom in front of us, an office space to our left, and a large bedroom to the right. Let's start in here so I can get my bearings, Judith instructed. We entered a large room with high ceilings and a pretty crescent-shaped window overlooking the front yard. A bright overhead light produced no safety or warmth, just stark reality. Bare but for a large wooden desk and floor-to-ceiling bookshelves lining one wall, the carpeted room held nothing outright ominous, but the feeling in the room was repellent. I hate it in here, Kate said, giving voice to my own thoughts. Judith held a hand behind her neck. He's here, not here, here. He's in that other room. She motioned across to the door. But I can feel him trying to block me. He's pretty damn strong. Even to choose this place to nest. Up here, I mean, they usually stay close to the earth. This one's different. What in the hell did that boy get himself into? My son didn't get into anything. I meant his friend, Judith said soothingly. Your boy got caught in the crossfire. She rubbed the back of her neck. All right, let's just be quiet for a couple minutes, and let me see what I can see. Kate and I stood next to each other, staring at the psychic. From where we stood, I had a clear view of the doorway, though I didn't want to look straight at it for fear I would see something terrible, and I kept hearing little ticking noises coming from the room across the hall. His nails, she finally said. It, it likes to click them together, like this. She held her hands together as though in prayer and tapped her fingers together. Is that what that little ticking noise is? I asked, horrified. Judith looked at me and nodded her head. Then she glanced at the area over my shoulder again, like she'd been doing all night. What did you see? I demanded. It's not important right now, Judith began. Why are you rubbing the back of your neck like that? Kate interrupted. It's him, Judith replied, nodding her head towards the door. I'm feeling what he's doing to your son. He does that all the time now. He rubs the back of his neck like that. He says it hurts. We've even had an MRI done, but it didn't show anything. Judith was silent, a sad look on her face. What is it? Kate asked, panicked. After a heavy sigh, Judith said, I'm not going to pull any punches, all right? This is bad. It's very, very bad. 
Had I known what was happening, I would have brought a priest with me, and I certainly wouldn't have let you come. There's enough going on in this home already, she said, looking at me. Tell me what's happening, Kate pleaded. Let's go into that room so I can be sure, Judith said, sounding very unsure. Feeling guilty, as though my presence was making things worse somehow, I followed the two women across the hallway, but I didn't step foot into the guest room with them. I stood in the doorway, overcome with the creeps. Judith stood in the center of the room. I don't like that closet, honey, she said very quietly. Kate and I looked over at the closet door. He's in there. He's in there, and it's exactly where he wants to be. Judith was tapping her nails together like the demon. Well, can we get him out? Kate asked, her voice shaking. Judith looked at her and then squinted back over at the closet door. Give me a minute. Again, she grabbed the back of her neck, but this time she gave a real wince of pain. Are you all right? I asked. Judith shushed me. Kate had backed towards the door and was standing close to me. We watched the psychic, and I became aware of the ticking noise again. Do you hear that? I whispered. What? Kate said in a low voice. I shook my head, not wanting to again bring up the fact that I was hearing things that she wasn't. No, sir, Judith said loudly, causing Kate and I to jump about three feet into the air. No, sir, and not today. You did not come to stay. You came to pass. You will not leave that little hellhole you've created for yourself until you are driven back to hell. And in Jesus' holy name, I command that you leave the boy. You will leave that boy be. And with that, the closet door slammed open so hard that it almost swung back shut on itself completely. So I ran. I ran down those stairs back to the second floor and kept on running until I was out on the front porch. The only thing that stopped me from jumping into my car and driving away was the almost complete darkness in that yard and the memory that Judith had seen a Native American ghost skulking around not long before. Unsure what to do next, I stood there, frozen at the top of the porch steps, trying to get the courage to either stay or go. Judith appeared in the doorway. Come back in. He's bound upstairs for now. We need to talk. I stood still, unwilling to go back into that house. You're in it now. You might as well come in here and listen to what we're going to do about it, she reasoned. Against my better judgment, I followed her back into the house and into the kitchen where Kate was at the island assembling all the fixings for tea. I noticed that her hands were shaking. I sat across from Kate at one of the stools at the island and placed my voice recorder on the gleaming granite. Judith stood at one end of the island, her hands flat on the countertop. Well, I prompted, plain and simple, it's a hex, and an incredibly sophisticated one at that. That boy did it, Kate asked, and for the first time I saw a little spark of anger within her. Judith nodded in confirmation. That boy managed to summon a mid-tier demon and direct him towards your oldest son. It could be dumb luck, but I don't think so. I'm thinking there's someone in his family that turned him on to the occult and coached him. Maybe an aunt. What does it want? I asked. It wants complete control of the boy, Judith said, her eyebrows raised. And it's getting pretty damn close. Jesus Christ Almighty, Kate breathed. When I was finally able to see what it's been up to, 
I realized that this wasn't about your family at all. It's about your son. The demon, I won't say its name, but I'm pretty sure it's one that you would recognize. It stands behind your boy and sort of sticks its fingers into the base of his skull. He can implant thoughts in its head and can even get him to speak for him. Judith held her hand up like it was inside a sock puppet and opened and closed her fingers. You mentioned your boy hasn't been himself, right? Well, that's why. Because he truly isn't himself sometimes. Kate folded her arms across her chest and looked like she was fighting back tears. You can do something about it, though, right? I asked. Yeah, sure. I've bound him in that closet for the time being, and I'll get Father McGonagall on the horn tonight. He'll be up here quick to get started with the exorcism, Judith said confidently. Exorcism? Kate said in disbelief. Father McGonagall? From Massachusetts? I said at the same time. Judith gave me a look and then said to Kate, Honey, it's the only way. It'll be a hell of a time getting this thing back down to hell, but it can be done. Father McGonagall is the best I've seen, and it's blessed to have him so close by. I'm not saying there won't be scars. Your son will have to look over his shoulder the rest of his life. He won't be able to do anything that might allow the darkness back in. You see, once it's had a person, it's always trying to get back inside. It's like there's a little stain on the light inside them, and the demons can see it. I watched Kate as Judith delivered the horrible news. She was handling it quite well. She asked, What do you mean by doing anything to let in the darkness? He's not going to get into the cult, for goodness sake. It doesn't have to be that obvious, Judith explained. Drinking alcohol, doing drugs, promiscuity, greed, even just getting overtired. You know, most people can get away with that stuff without attracting too much attention from down below, but since your boy has been marked now, if he's in a weakened state, that demon will take a shot at him, try to get back in. Well, fuck, Kate breathed, making me laugh nervously. You know this priest can get rid of the thing. For sure? I do, Judith said simply. What about the things in the basement? Kate asked. Oh, they'll hightail it out of here the second they catch wind of the church. Just get rid of that mirror, but don't just haul it up to the dump. Destroy it. You don't want some poor sucker bringing it to their home. It's as good as gone, Kate said. There was something else here tonight, Judith said, turning to look at me. I couldn't figure it out at first. I could tell there was some sort of a connection, but it didn't make any sense. At first I thought maybe you were somehow connected to the family, and that was why that thing seemed to hover around you. But upstairs, when I saw that it was just as scared of the demon as we were, I realized that it didn't have anything to do with this home. No, no, no. That's when I realized that skinny creeper belonged to you. Judith pointed a finger right at me. What in the hell are you talking about? You've got your own little attachment, honey. You let her bring another demon into my house? Kate demanded. There's a fucking demon attached to me? I exclaimed, horrified. Now stop, Judith said firmly. No, you don't have a demon, she said to me before turning to Kate. And yes, Liz brought it in here, but it will leave with her because it wants nothing to do with the demonic mess in this house. I'm just trying to tell you girls that this was one confusing storm of a night, and I'm happy I finally got it sussed out. Nothing is sussed out, I said in low-grade panic. What the hell is attached to me? 
Judith shook her head for the millionth time that night. I don't know, honey. At first I thought it might be alien. Kate gave a little, oh dear, as I said, hell no. But, Judith held her hands in front of her, I don't think that anymore. It's some kind of an entity. It might even have been human once. I'm too drained right now, so let's say a damn prayer and close up shop for the night. We'll need all our rest for what's to come. Judith and I waved to Kate as she backed down the driveway and away from her demon-infested home. Liz and I are going to have a little chat, but you get going on to your family, Judith had told her. She leaned against my car and sighed. In these sleepy towns, the kids are doing one of two things, smoking crack or worshiping Satan. That's not true, I said defensively, thinking of my own nephews. Not your family, honey. Your sister keeps an eye, but the same can't be said for everyone. But there are enough of these kids, and they're causing a real ruckus. She took a good look at me. How long you been hearing things? I think tonight was the first time, I said. Hmm. Well, I bet the farm that it won't be your last. You're just starting to crack open. I think that's why this thing is so keen on hanging around you. Your family's in a new house, yes? I nodded. Yeah, that house chose you. You're in for a wild ride. Is it safe for me to stay at my sister's house tonight? I don't want to bring this thing, whatever it is, to her home if it'll put them in any danger. Oh, sure. I've protected her house, and I know she's had the priest out for a blessing. Your creep can't follow you in there. He'll just hang around the perimeter. Don't worry. He's not interested in your sister's family. I was about to ask another question when she turned to look at the marshy wood behind her and asked, You seeing something behind me? No, I'm just afraid of those woods, I admitted. You should be, darling, Judith said, opening her arms to give me a hug. Get in your car and lock your doors. I'll call you Monday and we'll deal with your little friend. Don't worry. He's just doing reconnaissance right now. Judith gave me a hug, and as she unlocked her car door, she called to me. And honey, stay out of your basement. Yet another nor'easter was headed right for their little town, and Louis Serda wasn't going into this one unprepared. On the way home from work, he stopped at the grocery and stocked up on bread, milk, cereal, batteries, and double-stuffed Oreos. The lines were agonizingly long, and full dark had fallen by the time he escaped to the store. The snow had become persistent, and as he approached his car, he saw something strange on the windshield. Upon closer inspection, he found it to be a plaid scarf, wrapped tightly around the driver's side wiper. Weird, he said, quietly to himself. He placed the groceries on the hood of the car and set about removing the item. He'd almost untangled the scarf when he heard a soft voice behind him say, Nasty night. Startled, he spun around to see a frail old woman standing less than a foot away. Oh, um, yes ma'am. Looks like we've got another storm coming. The woman stared at him, then nodded her head in the direction of the groceries. What have you in the bag? Oh, just the necessities, he replied, suddenly feeling trapped against his car. Long lines inside? she asked. Not too bad. Um, excuse me, I need to get going. 
I'm going to need those groceries, the woman said quietly, taking a step closer. Ha! <laughs> Lewis laughed nervously. The woman was a foot shorter than him and couldn't weigh more than 90 pounds, and yet he felt terror creeping up his spine. The bag, she pressed. Ma'am, please, I need to get home, Lewis said, sounding less sure of himself than he hoped. In a flash, the woman had him by the ear. She pulled him down so that they were face to face. He couldn't pull away. His ear was on fire. The woman's pitch-black eyes bore into him. Reach over for the groceries and put them on the ground in between us, she whispered. Lewis did as he was told. With her free hand, the woman sifted through the contents of the bag. Is that two percent? she asked. He nodded. Good. Take the Oreos. What? Get the fucking Oreos out of my bag, she growled. He reached down and did as he was told. Good boy, she said sweetly, and faster than he could comprehend, she let go of his ear, scooped out the grocery bag, and scurried over to a tan Mercedes wagon. Lewis held on to his injured ear with one hand and cradled the Oreos protectively as he watched her drive away into the night. This has been Out of the Swells. Good night, sleep tight, and don't forget your nightlight.